Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. I was reading that article again that you sent me, um, the one about the people working two jobs. Um, and I was, I was just thinking, how do people have the time to do that? But I suppose it's, um, I guess it's, uh, you know, if you've got the opportunity, you take it sometimes. You maybe need the money. Maybe it's moonlighting works. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk about this today because, I don't know, it just seems like, uh, a fascinating thing, a phenomena that people are doing. Um, and they say, so this was a Wall Street Journal article that came out a few weeks ago talking about remote workers who are working two full-time jobs. And they said uh, the people they talk to range from different industries, you know, finance, apparently it's a big thing in tech. I mean, you know, no surprise, I think that, um, People are like growth hacking and, you know, whatnot. But um, essentially, people are finding two salary jobs and a lot of them say they're not working more than 40 hours a week. Uh, and of course, their employers don't know about each other or they're very people have to be very secretive, even with family and friends to not reveal the two jobs mm. in case they get caught out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does sound exhausting doesn't it <laughs> well I, look i can understand if you if and it, it depends on what these people are doing what the kind of work is you know i could never i could never really work two jobs because i'm involved in so many meetings and so many face-to-face things that the only work i could do is a second right because like, that's what i looked at like how would i ever do it and and, and i don't see the the space because you'd have to be working late nights and early mornings and and all that sort of thing um, but if you're, if you're a knowledge worker who, and, and I mean, we just see these guys in, in various corporates, you know, they spend the whole day, but they don't really do anything the whole day. They, you, you know, they look like they're busy in an Excel spreadsheet, but that Excel spreadsheet hasn't moved, you know, for three hours. Um, meanwhile, they're on Facebook on their phones or something like that, or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is, I can understand someone like that getting away with two jobs. Um, and, and potentially the one job is the pays the bills and the other job is the cream. Uh, it pays for whatever else they need. Um, I mean, I, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of those American movies where you have the, the single person who's running job to job to job just to pay their bills. Um, and they're working three jobs in a day, but they're not all eight hour, nine hour jobs. They are sort of shift or part-time roles. That, that I could understand. Um, yeah. I was, I I was laughing. Sorry, go ahead. No, I I, I think I sent you the 12 rules for working two remote jobs link afterwards. Um, So we can go through that as well. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, there's there's that website, yeah, Overworked, where someone uh, is offering advice for how people can get away with doing this. But, you know, working two jobs, right, that is nothing new. I mean, I personally, when I was younger, I, I had a period where I was working 
three jobs. I think it amounted to like 60 hours a week, um, which was a lot to juggle. But that, you know, when you're not a full time employee and and whatnot, like people have to do that to pay the bills. Um, But I Mm. think there's a certain uh, I was kind of looking for reactions on this online because I was just curious to see what what the takes were out there. And I think there's a certain group of people who's uh, sort of appalled by the lack of the loyalty or like the morality question in this. But going back to the the overworked site, some of the things that they recommend doing um, back to your point about like pencil pushers are essentially being mediocre at your job, not standing Mm. out. Um, because if you stand out, you might get more work or of course you might get fired. So basically meeting (laughs) sort of the minimum expectations and, um, not falling in love with your job, not really getting too close with coworkers. And I I think, and, and then the other thing was, um, needing to, um, have a clear reason why you're doing it. And I, I, and I think that's kind of probably the key thing, right? If you don't have a clear motivating factor of obviously it's for money, but it's like, what are you using this money for? Why does this money matter to you? Why is it imperative? Um, whether it's paying down debt, buying a house, um, whatever that is for you. But yeah, if you don't have that clear reason for yourself, then it is just a lot uh, it's stressful, stressful. And, and someone like, you know, it's like living a, a double, a double life, like a secret agent <laughs> where the two sides can't know about each other. And yeah, the zoom meeting thing, people being on two zooms at once and unmuting on one and, you know, hoping that they don't get called on in both meetings. And it's, it's very, yeah, high stress. Yeah, and that, and I think I mean, depending on your situation, you may have multiple devices. I mean, you know, if I look at my work machine, which is my high-low machine, then I have my personal machine, and I mean, I use the same machine now. Everything's on one, um, but there's times where I mix up my the podcast stuff with the high-low stuff, for example. So I use Calendly to, to book stuff in my diary, and usually that books it in my high-low diary. It books in all my diaries actually. Um, but the team's details is from my high-low account. But sometimes I change that because I'm, I'm you know, I give out a link for, for a certain meeting that I want to use my personal one for, and then I forget, or I don't change it back. And then the next 10 meetings that I booked in my diary from, if I'm doing recruitment or whatever it is, they use the my personal account. Then I end up with, with 10 meetings in my personal calendar, but it still synchronizes every, so I haven't lost the, the time. Um, but it's those sorts of things where you're trying to juggle between almost different personas of who you are. And if, and if you look at the sort of way the tools work nowadays, you'll have like, like, because the, the digital workspace works is, is on exchange on office 365, you know, we have a one drive for that. We have a one drive for high low, I have a one drive in my personal capacity. So now I have three storage locations that are connected to my machine, three email profiles, three teams profiles. Um, sometimes I think it's just easy to use zoom and have just one zoom. Um, because that doesn't, that doesn't really look like it's anything different. Um, and you can just join the calls regardless of which organization you're in. Um, so I can, I can totally understand. I mean, sometimes you send an email from the wrong account, for example, and you should be sending a work email, but now you've used your first email. And, you know, when you're in a big corporate where they've got rules and regulations and stuff, that stuff is very difficult to do because they own the device. 
But as things have progressed, more and more um, companies have allowed bring, have allowed allowed BYOD um, devices. So, so how do you manage that? If you're a security person, you've got to worry about what's on that device. Um, and I think the biggest thing to be worried about with someone working two jobs is are they stealing information from one job to use in the other job? Um, you know, it's, and it is fine to have other activities. I'm not saying you shouldn't have, but maybe, you know, if you like, you know, this is a hobby for us, uh, do the podcast that doesn't conflict with our day jobs per se. I mean, we talk about stuff that's related to it, but, um, we only work on stuff that's in the public domain. We don't, we don't share any secrets or anything like that. Um, so I think there's an ethical consideration there if you can, are going to do two gigs. Definitely. I mean, that's one of the questions that came up, you know, is this, is this even legal? And, you know, if you're working two jobs, um, chances are for a lot of folks that it, it could be for competitors, right? Or, you know, you're working in sort of the same realm. So you're running into conflicts of interest there. But, um, yeah, I think people mentioned as well that, you know, they might buy a second device or have two devices to manage it. I do feel like having it all on one device would be probably the hardest scenario to keep track of. Um, and, and some of the folks did describe it as just the management of having two jobs was like a third job, uh, keeping it all straight as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I know um, people that, that uh, and I've done it as well during my younger days, um, you know, you're a developer, you're writing code during the day, and then someone comes to your friend or, or someone in the family and says, hey, listen, why don't you build me, or can you help me build this app? Uh, and then in those days, it wasn't mobile apps, it was, you know, a website or, or something like that. And you're like, sure, you know, I'm happy to help. Um, and you might, and you might make some money out of it. You might not, but, um, you know, it, it, in those times it might be an extra couple grand, which in rand terms wasn't a lot, but at least gets you, you know, that extra bit of money as I say, the cream. Um, but I think you've got to figure in where's your downtime. Uh, if you're going to do all these other activities, when, when do you have a break? Um, and then if you start over committing, and, and I think this is the, the point about mediocrity, you can't be better than mediocre because you can only do as much as you can do in a day. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you have to just, <laughs> in order to be successful with it, um, sort of give up that drive to make work the meat, like a meaningful part of your life. Um, and you know, to the overwork thing, one of the tips is to, take vacation from one employer to tie up a big project for the other employer. So it's like, you probably don't really get, it's not a situation where you're going to get like true PTO, uh, potentially maybe you could overlap them with both employers. Um, do you think uh, one of the questions that kept coming to my mind, do you think, you know, stories like this are going to concern companies who have gone the full remote route um is this something people should be concerned about their employees doing well yes and no i mean I, look we, we i've been in organizations where we found it we, we knew for a fact there was you know th th suppliers and i'm and i'm not gonna 
say where they are, but people probably guess where we had, you know, one guy pretending to be three guys and he would log, he would literally walk from computer to computer logging in and then move the mouse and, you know, do applications and stuff. So, so that, you know, we've seen it already and that's, that's in a, in a managed environment with, with people supposedly watching everyone and stuff. So, so I think it's always a, a risk. I mean, if, but if you don't trust your people and you don't hire good people, uh, it doesn't matter where, where they are or what they were they in the office or not. Um, you always have that risk, but if you look after your people and you generate loyalty, then I don't think you'll have a problem. Um, and if the work they're doing is fulfilling, then again, you won't have that problem. And if you pay them well, then again, you won't have that problem. Um, I, I would, that's why I say, I'd, I'd love to know who was doing this because it's one thing to do, um, a little bit of moonlighting on the side where, as I say, an opportunity of a little bit of consulting pops up and someone needs some, some help for, for two or three days and you do it over a week or a weekend, we take some time off. Yeah, that's, that's fine. But if you're working two full jobs, um, then, you know, 16 hours a day, then, then that's a significant, uh, red flag. And if someone, you know, there's a big issue there. Um, but I would also say in the same token that I would say the tools and the technology I do allow you to do sort of micro work. So you could quite easily do, you know, if you think about it, you could reply to an email and you could do some support work. And there's, there's a lot of that sort of stuff in the gig economy where you can log into a site and do some testing today and get paid uh, $30, $40 for an hour. Now that's what you do at your lunch break. Um, that's not a full job and that's also not, um, interacting with other people. You're just doing a little bit of work uh, to get something done using the technology. So I could see that becoming a thing. Um, and I think also if you look at, uh, you know, I look at it from my wife's point of view, we've got kids now, we're fortunate in South Africa, we've got a lot of help. If you go back to the UK, she can't really work a full-time job uh, until the kid's old enough to go to school. So for her being able to do small jobs and lots of small jobs in three days or four days of a week, while the kids are in nursery and stuff. Yeah, that's, that's feasible. Then she might work two or three jobs, but they're small. They're one day a week things. Um, so I think those are, those are realistic. Yeah. I think this situation is unique because of the, the overlap, right. Of, of both jobs are, um, you know, most likely some sort of nine to five scenario and happening at the same time. Um, because definitely, um, you know, the pandemic has been hard on a lot of people financially. So I, I don't think anyone would be shocked by say like, you know, uh, a teacher then doing, um, you know, um, Instacart or, uh, some delivery or like, you know, doing, you know, Uber or whatever, a few, um, like that's, that's sort of the Uber model, right? Is, um, mm. not necessarily people being full-time drivers, but supplementing their income. Uh, so that's nothing new. It's just, um, I think there's something new about the, is it okay? And I, I think this is an interesting question too. You know, if you're someone who can only can do your job in 20 hours a week and, and meet the expectations that were set for you, you know, and your employer feels fine with the, with, you know, the work that you're doing because you're not stretching that work out over 40 hours a week. Is that a bad thing? Should you be expected to sort of find ways to then 
double the amount of work that you're doing, even though you're not getting necessarily compensated in any way for doubling the work? Well, I mean, some people would say that if you get your work done in less time, you should be looking for more work to do. Mm -hmm. um, that would be the, the sort of simple answer to that. But, but you know, it's like how, I mean, I, I've never had that experience in an organization I've worked in, that I can get all my work done in less the time. And, 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 and almost be sitting around going, oh, I, actually, I lie. Probably the first week on any job is the only time I really have that problem because then you're not involved in anything and you're still trying to learn and, and you're kind of doing stuff, but the pressure's not on. But once the pressure kicks in and, you, and you're involved in everything and you've got your fingers on everything and, you, and, you, and you're a contributor um, and you're accountable, you know, there's no time in my mind. So, so it's very difficult for me to, to see that sort of stuff. But, you know, let's say you're a, um, a data capturer and you've got to capture 100 lines a day uh, to hit, hit a target of 500. And you, you're a fast typer and, you've, and you've, you've really optimized your system and you can do all of that in two days. Um, then, yeah, I would say that the management team either needs to, to figure out a way to keep you busy, give you more work to do, or... Um, yeah, that should be the incentive. Get the stuff done in two days, whether you get it done in two days or four days, uh, you can go. And, and that's really the results orientated mentality that, that I think we all need to get to is that um, when you take on the work, how, how you get it done and when you get it done uh, is not important to me. But as long as you meet the deadline we've agreed, uh, you know, on or before, then that's the win. Um, and then I think that's where I mean, I, I definitely see that happening for, for some businesses where they're really trusting their staff and saying, look, you know, as long as you are, are in touch at the right times and, and getting your work done, I don't really care where you do it from or, or um, whether you're online all day. You might be a night owl, you might be a morning person. Um, you know, I know personally some mornings I get up, like this morning I got up really early and I've worked six, seven hours worth of stuff in three hours. Um, so now when I sit on the phone the whole day, I don't feel that pressure, which I, which I usually feel that, oh, you know, I've, I've done six hours of calls today. I've still got three hours of work to do, um, which is the other part of this. I think overworked is, is something that you did see in another article, I haven't read it yet. I do think that, that we, rightly or wrongly, work too much um, because, it's, because we're so connected. Yeah, there was that... Um... I don't know if you had a chance to read the other article mm -hmm. I sent you from the New Yorker, but that was basically talking about the sort of chronic issue in knowledge work of always taking <laughs> an extra 20% on um, and basically never being able to, uh, you know, catch up and always being in that frantic state of overworking because uh, there's like this, um, need to always say yes to like just enough to be extra like overly booked right to be too busy i think you know everyone um are very accustomed to right like everyone is moving a million miles a minute um no one can catch up people are you know routinely working more time um and that's just the i i think that's become the norm you know not the um exception yeah and I, well i mean i was chatting with my boss about it today he was in london last week and he's flown to india this week and we're having our one-to-one -one and and he sort of asked me like what well, you know how do you get headspace and i said well you know i'm, I'm lucky time zone wise i'm one hour 
um, ahead of the UK. So I get one hour extra a day before meetings start. And I mean, even though most of my team is in India, they respect the time because I've booked out of my diary that I'm not available. And I go and do my gym and I go for my walks and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think, and I listen to podcasts and whatever. So I get a chance to, to let my brain work through things. Whereas he gets up and he pretty much goes straight to his desk. And because he's been in the UK and most of the team is already online, you know, he just goes straight into work. Um, but now that he's been in India a couple of days, he's like, geez, man, I can't believe how much time I get to think now because everyone's asleep. Um, and yes, he could talk to our team. He doesn't need to, cause they're not, they're not, he doesn't need to be involved in their stuff. So, so now he's getting two or three hours of, of brain time, um, before his day starts, you know, carrying out his email, that kind of stuff, things that you do struggle with when you're really busy, when you really are busy, you know, the emails keep piling up. Um, and you just feel, you could see like his moods change. He's a lot more thing. He's going to the gym in the morning now. So he's, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely working better cause he's had the freedom, um, which, I think makes the workday less stressful, which also means you don't have to put the extra time in because when you tackle that day, and then there's a very good book, which I think I've talked about before called Making Time, um, which is to only have really one goal for the day. Um, because if you get that done, then it's, it's almost your happiness factor or your joy factor or your urgency factor. That's, what, that's how you measure that goal. Everything else will happen and you'll have other things you, that need to happen anyway. But you need to have that one thing that when, when the day is done, you look back and go, okay, today I wanted to send that document off um, on X, Y, Z. And I've sent it off now, so I'm, I'm relaxed. I can relax now. Um, whereas if you never get to that one thing, then you always feel stressed and you always feel like there's more work you need to do. So you can't switch off. And I think that's the, the mental wellness thing that we're all going to have to learn as, as we blend our home with our work. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, having, being able to meet those micro targets is so important for job satisfaction. I think, um, the times where I, you know, it, it can get really frustrating is when you feel like you're, you're not able to finish everything, whether there's a lot of meetings, just a ton of emails, whatever you're stuck in a reactive state where you're not outputting anything. I think it's really hard to, you know, I think some of this comes back to like just um, human instincts, human needs. And I think the act of creation, right? Like I feel most satisfied when I have finished something and there's some output and I, you know, I can, you know, see it, read it, whatever. Um, but that's mm. where, you know, you get that little like dopamine rush in your brain that like, yes, I, I did something. Um, this had a meaning, you know, otherwise it's just like, why you're kind of just stuck in this quagmire of why am I doing this? Well, well that's it. You don't have, a, you don't ever have that, um, closure that you need. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, as, you know, simple things like, um, you know, the, the odd day, cause you work from home, there are days where your home life interferes with your work life. So you, and like I said, I have, I have a lot of, a lot of calls in a day. So there might be days where I'm on, the, I'm on the phone six hours out of eight. And the only other things that I need to get, that I really want to get done is, is fitness stuff or, or my own sort of studying or whatever it is. And you don't hit those things. 
because something's happened in the house. You need to go pick up someone who's like, my wife's had an op, so she can't drive, so I've got to take her to the shops. So now you're losing your time doing something else. So, so having something that you can tick off just to say the day hasn't been a, a wash is, is just a psychologically important thing. Totally. Yeah. And I think, um, there's still, yeah. And I, I think even coming back to the other things, right? Like I think to be the most happy with your work life, I think you have to be able to find the time for the other, you know, to take care of yourself in the other ways. And I think that's still a challenge for, um, a lot of people and can be very pervasive with remote work. I mean, you know, different people manage it differently, right? Like there's, I think there's a lot of stories that are, um, you know, concerning to companies about employees, you know, doing whatever during the day because, you know, they can. And I think, obviously, I think there's different lines about, you know, is it acceptable to throw a load of laundry in because that takes 30 seconds? But if you went out and, you know, had like a three hour lunch in the middle of the day, I think most people would say maybe that's not okay. Uh, because obviously, <laughs> you could not, um, get away with that, uh, in an office environment, or maybe you could, I mean, if it was with your team. Well, no, I mean, I've, I've worked in, uh, in organizations where going, going for lunch midday is totally acceptable to be a two, three hour exercise. Mm. And, and I'm not even talking about with clients. I'm saying, you know, just culturally there, there's no, I mean, I remember moving from, from one organization to the other, the, the organization I was at, you know, even going to, uh, even like getting up to go to gym was considered like, like a, a what the fuck moment. Like, what are you doing? You should be working. Uh, or going outside to get lunch. Like, you know, you got to go get your lunch, come back and sit at your desk and eat it. You, you can't go and enjoy the, you know, and that's, that was just the, the culture of, of who was around me and all that kind of stuff. And then going to this other organization, um, you know, I, I got in at my first day at seven o'clock in the morning and people rocked up at 10 o'clock. And I was like, what's going on here? This is different. And uh, lunch lunch was two hours and lunch was everyone going together, sitting and having a burger, talking about other stuff and then going to run their errands. And and I, I remember saying to my friend who brought me into the organization, I said, is this normal? He goes, yeah, it pretty much happens like this every day. Like, when does the work get done? Oh, you know, we're done. Oh. You know, but but you could already see the projects took longer. The the amount of things that got delivered was less. And I'm not saying that the first organization was better than the second organization. I mean, uh, you know, I remember going to gym in the first organization, walking out and had 25 missed phone calls because my someone needed to get something and they couldn't wait one hour. And and it wasn't important. It really wasn't. Um, so, so you, you know, I don't think it matters whether you're in an office or not. I, I think it's it comes down to culture. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there are some offices where there's a gym at the office or you get a gym pass or a health credit mm. and you know, that's encouraged. Um, and then yeah, some offices where, you know, if you're away from your desk for more than three minutes to use the bathroom or get a drink that, you know, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop <laughs> standing around. Um, why don't we well, there, there was that, there, sorry, there was actually that company that tried that did that. And I remember talking to a friend of mine, here and she was telling me that she had to tell she had to write a log of every five minute break she took and every time she went to the bathroom and all that kind of stuff and i was like this is madness like there's no trust there and there's no productivity there either i think it comes back to something we talk about 
quite often as well as just being treated as an, you know, autonomous adult who with a certain level of trust. And I think, you know, stuff like that, it's like, well, you lose that relationship a bit with your employer, right? Of, you know, they respect me and, and trust me to, um, you know, to, to use a five minute break how I need to and not uh, catalog that. And yeah, it just kind of is, it's not very empowering <laughs> as an employee. No, and, and, and to your point about, you know, uh, sort of going downstairs to put the washing, I mean, we were lucky here that I, that I have a housekeeper and that's a South African thing. You have a domestic worker and you have for a big house, you have a garden and you pay them and you go after them. So I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. But if we're in the UK, I have a cleaning service that comes in once a week for four hours. Anything else needs to get done in that house, I've got to do it. So, you know, if I if I have a break of five minutes between this call and the next call, I feel nothing to shoot down, make myself a cup of coffee, to change the washing over uh, from the washer to the dryer and come back up again. And if I have a half an hour gap and my wife's out or whatever, I might just hang the washing because at least that gets me outside. I mean, if it's not, not raining, of course, because it's very common in the UK. Um, but it's, it, it keeps you, you know, um, you got to keep everything going. It's really the, the point. Um, it's not like, and, and I, and I do think people should go for, for a nice social lunch or whatever with a mate and, and all that, because it gets you, it, it does refresh you. Um, but you shouldn't do it, you know, to the point that you're doing more time having social occasions and less time doing the work that you're being paid to work. Absolutely. I think we can probably all agree there. Uh, so why don't we talk about that third article that you had sent about um, people feeling weird about seeing themselves on Zoom for so long? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Zoom, um, what do they call it? Zoom dystopia, no? That's the right word. Dysmorphia. Dysmorphia. Yeah, so that that's an interesting thing. And um, I mean, I guess to summarize it in, into two things. One, um, I think in, in going to work, the effort people put into getting dressed for work is different to the effort they put into getting ready for a bunch of calls. And, and I'm very guilty of this at the moment because I will, I'll get up, I'll go do a workout and I will probably go join my first call while I'm still in my sweaty gym clothes because I've run out of time and I'd rather do the extra set or the extra thing than go and have a shower quickly. Um, and then I'll spend the whole day because I, I usually don't get a break till later on and I'll go shower. Um, mm -hmm. But because I'm not seeing people face to face, I'm not too worried about it. And I also, now the, the thing they were putting on the article is that people have noticed themselves in the cameras and been affected by the, how they look. So skin blemishes, um, uh, bags of the eyes, whatever it is. I, I'm fortunate if I stand far enough away from the camera that I can't see any of that stuff. So, so it doesn't really bug me. Um, but I am, I am conscious of it with other people. I've noticed how some people have reacted to being on the, on cameras. Uh, in fact, I had to make it a rule with my team to turn the cameras on because it was very easy to hide behind cameras off. Um, especially when there was a, uh, let's say a, a heated conversation. Um, so, so it's an article, but I, it doesn't surprise me at all. No. And I, th I think it came a lot, um, kind of came up a lot in remote education as well, uh, with a lot of young people who, uh, and teens, um, sort of 
at, at vulnerable times for body image, just constantly seeing themselves on the screen. And I think, you know, I think some of the apps I'd have to, I am curious now, like where, which ones allow you to hide yourself because I think it's not teams. Yeah, I know. And I, I wish, you know, it's like, I was imagining yesterday, like sitting in a conference room and you have someone across from you and then there's like a little mirror next to them where you can always see yourself, like how distracting would that be? But that's essentially what we have going on here. And, um, it is, it can be just, I, I think it can be distracting and then, you know, it makes you worry about, um, your appearance or what's going on in your background or whatever mm. in a way that you never would have to confront in that same degree in the office. Cause you're not constantly staring at yourself. And one thing, uh, they point out in the article, it made me think of my own sort of buying an external webcam was that, um, you know, one thing people are struggling with is that I think a lot of lenses have like a, um, fishbowl effect or like maybe, you know, mm. how you appear on the different, um, you know, zoom or whatever, you know, your nose looks bigger than it does in real life or whatever it is like people, it warps your perception of yourself. I mean, just as if you were like staring into a bit of a funhouse mirror all day, but something I did not too far in to remote working was, um, get an external webcam because the one on my laptop, first of all, it's at the bottom of the screen. So it's virtually impossible to get a flattering angle. And then the quality was bad. And with being on all of these video calls, I just found it honestly embarrassing that the, like the angle and the quality. And I was always like stacking it on top of a million books to try to get like a normal level angle with my face. And yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff, it does, um, affect you yeah so, so i find with with teams you can turn your camera off if you share a screen then it, then it doesn't show you it only shows who you're talking to but if you expand the what you the people on the on the screen on the other screen if you've got two screens then you you still see yourself in the bottom right hand corner zoom you can turn yourself off which i think is correct um, in fact, the only option that Teams gives you is the ability to spotlight yourself. So then you can only look like you're talking to yourself, which I think is just <laughs> madness. Um, but I think you're right. So, so I, I typically use everything's elevated for me anyway. So the camera is on the laptop. It's on an elevated. So it's, it's almost eye level. Um, back home um, with my with my standing desk, I've actually got the camera on a on an arm, so I can move it right to the middle. So it looks like. I can actually look like I'm almost eye to eye with you um, to what's on the screen. So, uh, you know, that's, that's something um, that I always thought was quite important. That and light, having the light on your face as well, um, which I don't have here, but I don't think I need it here. Um, but uh, it, it does make me think that, you know, we, I don't know if I ever told you, that there's a book called, um, it's called The Future of Work. Uh, I was written, it's written, I'll have to remember what it's called. But they talk about the avatars and how you can have an avatar attend your meeting for you. And this is sort of the AR, VR sort of thing. And you can be in your pajamas and basically be joining in your business suit as the avatar. And all your facial recognition stuff will be done. And I mean, I don't know how far away we are from that. It's probably within the next decade. Um, depends on the cost of the units. But I could see that happening. We're certainly at the level, right, of, of AR 
avatars that are sort of cartoonish. Um, but I think, you know, it would be interesting to get to that point of <laughs> like the, the, um, perform the performative, uh, you know, that you could be wearing whatever and show up however. Um, and like, how does that affect you? Um, and other people's perceptions of you and, um, but I, yeah, I mean, some of that would be, would be nice. And I guess something we didn't cover was I think it's zoom that has like face filters, right? I mean, this came up with, there was that funny example of someone who, um, logged into their daughter's zoom or whatever, mm. and had like a cat face. Um, but that's part of it too, is just, I think you know, using filters and how that affects your self-perception. Yeah, I was, I was someone was, uh, who was, I was reading an article yesterday. Uh, there's a cricketer who's talking to his son from Sri Lanka and they use, I think it's Google Duo because they can make the funny faces and his son's about six years old. So, you know, it's just the way of thing. And anyway, my son, he was FaceTime. You could do it as well. You could put um, uh, funny, there's all the emoticons you can put on your face. If you, if you the, the Apple ones. And emojis, yeah. Yeah, so you could be the dragon or whatever. And he goes mad for it. So he used to, when we used to find my mom from the UK here to the SA, um, he used to get a kick out of just being a, a mouse talking to a dragon or something like that. You know, it's just because that, that stuff actually works really well. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, I think if it's, if it's done in a quirky, funny way and not meant to be serious, I think it, it's a good thing. But I, I'm still going to be old school. And unfortunately, in maybe even 20 years' time, I'll still be old school and say you should be authentic to what you are. So if you're dressed in your pajamas, you want to join a meeting, look like you're in your pajamas attending a meeting, you know, <laughs> at, least, at least be, uh, there's no need for the facade. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and, you know, that's something that came up really early in this whole remote work thing is just the people found it nice, right. To see people in their more authentic environment, you know, dealing with real life. Um, so I hope we, we don't necessarily lose that. Yeah, well, that's the thing is we're not robots, uh, and and it's very easy to get caught up in these ro in, in being robotic. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's I think it's been a good uh, as much as people have have suffered through COVID. I think it's been a good exercise too. It's it's really leveled some of the things up. Definitely. Well, I think that's probably a good note to to end on. Yeah. Thanks, Heather. It was good to catch up. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.